0: When you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin
1: to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. I wanna welcome everybody to another episode of the Designed to Heal podcast with Dr. Ben Rawl. I am your average Jeff. Dr. Ben, we got a guest on the line today. I could joke and be an ignorant American and say he's up in the great white north, all right? Uh, but oh, I'm yeah. fairly certain that doesn't apply there. So, <laughs> hey, tell us about your buddy and who do we well, got today? So
0: we're gonna, you're in for a treat today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel I'm, I'm very honored, matter of fact, um, with Dr. James Chestnut that we have on today. And let me let me tell you, uh, he can hang. So any cr- any crap we'll give him, uh, he's not afraid <laughs> for a good battle. Um, I've loved watching and listening and learning from him over the years. Matter of fact, I utilize his services in my office. If you've ever been a patient of mine, you've likely taken his health risk assessment his health questionnaire survey. Awesome. Uh, a lot of the things that I talk about and teach about have actually been taught to me by Dr. Chestnut. matter of fact, just to honor him, not to make him feel old, but when I was in a student, he was part of a, a group that uh, ICPA, and he taught some of their classes. And I remember sitting in a class, I was a student, part of the reason I went there was because um, it was, it's cheaper and or free when you were a student. And I remember him sitting there, and, and this, I went to Northwestern, Doc, and, um, and you came in, and it was, I remember a story you were telling about headaches and, and aspirin, and you were the first person that I ever remember hearing saying, is a headache a deficiency in aspirin? And you also taught me something that, that series that day that I've used probably almost every day in practice, and it was that you taught me to ask the question, why, three times. And I, I've gotten to see you at different times overall. You know you travel the world and you speak, and, and I'm so grateful for your work, and I have your books, and we play your fuss stuff in the office. And so I just want to honor you and thank you for the work that you've done. Um, welcome to our show. Will you give our listeners a little bit of your background? Because you've got a great story, but then we gotta, we're going to dive into the dirt, and we're going to talk about some stuff, and I know you. You don't mince words, and you cut right to the heart of the issues. But thank you. It's an honor to have you on the show, even though you are from the great north there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that nice intro. And um, yeah, as I always say, it makes me laugh when you say that, because I, there's two things that most people remember when they hear me speak. And one is, if you, if you ask why three times, you can't lose an argument, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and And number two, if you ask somebody, where did you read that? me, I have a copy. Mm. You, you generally cut to the chase very quickly and can cut through the dogma versus evidence-based stuff. So, and I, of course, I always advocate that you should be able to answer those questions yourself. But, um, I mean, in terms of background, I, I, um, I was, I was, uh, on a rugby scholarship at the university of Victoria doing my master's degree in exercise physiology. And I specialized in neuromuscular adaptation. So really kind of the neurology of movement and, um, and how the how how the you know movement affects the brain and then the brain then you know has has better ability to coordinate you know neuromuscular function so
0: and then you went out and played uh, rugby and tried to destroy that so I did <laughs>
2: and then and then I got mangled playing rugby um and you know uh, one of the people on my committee uh, for my for my graduate work was um a uh, sports medicine doc who out for the Canadian Olympic team actually. And so I just, I mean, I got, you know, into the neurologist. I got the best of everything that allopathy could offer me, and I just wasn't getting any better. I had lost all the strength in my arm. I was in constant pain. And um, finally, against everybody's advice, except one, actually, a physical therapist who I'm still friends with, um, who, was the, who was the physio at, um, at, at the University of Victoria where I was, basically said to me, you need to go see a chiropractor. And I said, but everyone told me not to go. And, you know, they're, you know, blah, blah. and he said, look, you need to go see a chiropractor. So I did. And um, I guess the rest is history. It was life-changing. And it just so happened at the time, that was 1995 or four. And the Manga Report, one of the most infamous, amazing sort of uh, literature reviews of, of interventions for, for people with spinal problems or back pain, Pran Manga was a PhD, um, public health expert at the university of Ottawa. And he was commissioned by the Ontario government, which is a province in Canada in case anybody doesn't know. And, um, they basically hired him at the at the pressure of the medical lobby to try and basically get rid of chiropractors and, and just show once and for all that chiropractors shouldn't be funded in the, in, in the socialized healthcare system because chiropractors were doing very well. As soon as they took away the barrier of payment and allowed Patients to get chiro- access chiropractic care. Um, everybody started accessing chiropractic care, and so that that made a lot of the people in the you know who obviously in medicine very unhappy because they didn't like the chiropractors to be getting cultural authority and to be making some earning some money from the socialized healthcare system. So they basically hired this guy, well pressured the government to hire, lobbied the government to uh, to hire this guy, Manga, to write a full review so that they could defund chiropractic. And lo and behold, Prime manga, to his great surprise, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege oh, yeah. to hear it. He, um, to his great surprise, he he basically uh, said, "My goodness, th- what we should be reviewing here is the evidence for medicine because there is none. <laughs> and it's dangerous, and uh, they have no evidence whatsoever. Chiropractic has actually quite a bit of evidence even back then um, for safety effectiveness and cost effectiveness. So lo and behold. And so anyway, I got a hold of that report, and um, and so I, I, I had been accepted to do a PhD, uh, looking at uh, neuromuscular function in the elderly actually to prevent falls. And, um, you know, I read that manga report and I just, it was mind blowing to me. And so I, I, um, you know, and of course everyone told me don't go to chiropractic college, you know, you can go do a PhD or go to medical school, whatever you want, what are you doing? And I just said, well, have you read the manga report? No one had. And I just said, well, you know, how, how can you possibly may have an opinion on something you don't know anything about? And so, you know, um, I went to chiropractic college Thank goodness I did. Doc, but, let me but I think uh, the background in, in, in research really helps me to go through the literature. You know, I understand research methodology got a very good education in that, so I think that's been very helpful to me and hopefully to others.
0: Well I think one of the things that is that I think people love and I and I don't want to say this, but love and hate about you is you really you really aren't afraid to go into any conversation. And although you are certainly what I would call um, evidence evidence based guy, but but I think you have somewhat of a not a different definition of evidence based, but there is there can be this is that that word gets so so beat up and misused. Used and misappropriated, but you're also not afraid to go after some of the dogma uh, in chiropractic. And certainly we can chase, we can, you know, scale about dogma in medicine because it's all over the place. But you're also, so you've done a lot to, you know, um, help our profession uh, to, be, to not just be legitimized, because here's what's never changed. Chiropractic gets results. We know that people get well when they get, you know, when they receive uh, chiropractic care. And so you just said, hey, some of the work you did was, well, how does that really work? Is it hard bone, soft nerve? What's really going on? The neurology background obviously changed a lot of that. And so I just, we think thank you for that. But do you mind? But because if I remember the story, right, Doc, even though you got into when you got into chiropractic, it was a little bit of a, of a brutal start. You kind of you need You did some of your own investigating, you know, beyond just the Magna report to say, is this is it true? Like either chiropractic is the greatest thing ever or it's it's the greatest snake oil. Right. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I mean, because once you kind of really dove in and you fully realize this is not BS, this is this is fantastic world. We need to know about this. Do you mind sharing that story or, or how you I don't remember how you tell that exactly, but
2: yeah, sure. Well, I mean, when I got to chiropractic college, I was I was just fresh out of you know designing you know uh, and conducting and, and and publishing a study, right? So I was pretty hardcore into science, and so evidence in science has a more rigorous standard than evidence in in healthcare. Evidence in healthcare, um, although they claim to say there's an evidence based movement, the truth is, is that most things have a lot of studies, but very little valid evidence. And I don't want to get too deep down that rabbit hole. COVID would be an example of...
0: though, as a, right. I mean, I mean, all joking aside, yeah. right. I mean, yeah.
2: And hopefully we'll get into that in a yeah. little bit, but, but, but it, it's like, so, um, you can do an awful lot of, just because you have studies published doesn't mean that the studies were validly designed to answer the question or provide evidence for the outcome that you're, that you're, that you're talking about. So, um, I had a very strict, very high standard of evidence coming from, you know, that, that sort of, um, you know, physiology sort of basic science background. When, when I got to chiropractic college, it was kind of two camps. There was one camp that said that chiropractic is really just pain relief. It's just kind of just like medicine. We're just trying to, 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 to relieve pain. And then the other side said, no, we're trying to address the underlying cause of pain. We're trying to correct function here. But unfortunately on that side, there was a lot of people who, who, who re- weren't really talking about evidence. They were almost talking about it, almost like Almost like a religion which was like it was releasing some kind of magic innate sort of flow through the body and right. And and you know, it just didn't make any sense. So both sides that I got exposed to early on were both dogmatic and there was and none of them were really talking about evidence. But one side, the side that said we're about pain, the allopathic kind of side, said, Well, we're evidence based and the other side isn't. But the truth is neither were evidence based and that that's still true, by the way. Um, and in many instances, which is why you know I, I I I joke and say I piss off everybody equally, but um, because if you ask people hard questions, they don't like it. They like it if you ask someone they disagree with a hard question. Then mm. it's like, yeah, go get them mm. chestnut. But if I ask them a question, then they're offended. And I'm like, if you're offended by a question you already know something's wrong with your stance. If a question offends you, mm. then, then, then you, ha- then you lack evidence. You are a faith-based person and faith-based might be wonderful in lots of places, but it's not great for building bridges or in healthcare. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, so we or
0: actually learning something, you know, God forbid. Exactly. Uh, yeah.
2: you, you need yeah. evidence. That's right. So, um, So anyway, I I Doctor not to interrupt you, but to
0: tell you would say, though, but just to hit on that word with evidence based, because I think you said something I do want my listeners to hear, which is there can not everything that gets published in a study is 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 good evidence. And there is there is difference is in evidence that like a a great, you know, a person getting well through chiropractic care is evidence. And I, I know you support that. You know what I mean, right? Um now we don't always understand the physiological implications and the pathways and all that happen and you've done a lot of work in that but I just because sometimes it's 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 often held if it's if it's not just an RCT right a randomized controlled clinical trial that it doesn't mean anything and I, I know that Can you just finish that for a second for our listeners?
2: Sure. Uh, that's a good question. So I, I think there's two, there's two kinds of, of, well, there's many kinds of evidence. So let me just break it down this way. Maybe it might help. So, so there's the basic science evidence, which is really how or why does something work. That's the neurophysiology, the, you know, that kind of stuff, right? The physiology of, why, like, why does it work? And, that, and, and that's fine. I mean, but there's lots of things that work that we don't know why, but we do know that they do work. So then the other one is the evidence does if it works. And so I don't, it, 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 those are where randomized control trials are still very important, in both of those, right? Um, because even if you're just asking if chiropractic works, um, the problem with saying, well, I've got a bunch of patients that, you know, have responded is that we have a lot of confirmation bias when we're, when we're mm-hmm. doing anything mm-hmm. ourselves, even in practice. And so what's valuable at a randomized controlled trial is it says, well, let's, get a bunch of people who have similar backgrounds and similar problems, let's give them similar, let's give them some care, or they, they get they get fake care or no care. And then what that means is that then we can say, look, does chiropractic work? And so there's an awful lot of evidence to show that chiropractic does work, uh, much more so than anything else for spinal health issues by by far. I mean, not even close. We, we, we are by far have the most evidence. But that's the question of if chiropractic works. So do people who go to a chiropractor have a greater statistical chance of getting better than if they don't go to a chiropractor? The answer is yes. Do chiropractors have, do, do patients have a better statistical chance of getting better if they go to a chiropractor, chiropractor for for spinal health versus a physiotherapist or a medical doctor um, or anybody else? And the answer is yes. So that's important information, but that doesn't tell us why chiropractic working? That's a separate question. That's a basic science question. And, and a lot of people get that those things mixed up. There'll be okay. something really interesting in basic science and they'll say, well, that's proof of clinical evidence of benefit. Well, no, that's not true. Um, you can have clinical evidence of benefit without knowing how, how or why. Okay. But just because you see a, a result happen in basic science doesn't mean to say that that's going to produce a clinically meaningful difference. But the nice thing about chiropractic is we have both we have really interesting evidence and, and very solid sound, very powerful evidence of clinical meaningful benefit from getting adjusted. And we also have now some pretty darn interesting information about why that works. But you can have an, like uh, uh, Carghee uh, who was the head of uh, um, the, the orthopedics at Stanford for years wrote many interesting papers. And one of his great lines was there are thousands of articles or studies written on, surgery for people with back pain and no evidence. (laughs) So you can write an awful lot, uh, a, a lot of studies, but if you don't control the study properly, if you don't set the study up with the right method methodology, then you can't, you can't get a relationship that says, I know that the intervention A caused the outcome B. So what they're very good at these people instead of evidence-based medicine, they have, they have uh, medically based evidence. (laughs) They switched it. (laughs) And so they produce all these studies because they have all this money to do it. And they produce all these studies, but they never actually design the study so they can actually determine whether or not the intervention actually produced an outcome. And that's really easy to design. Lots of studies that don't actually answer that question. Mm. And then they Mm. have thousands of papers, but no actually valid, no actual valid evidence. And so so what do we know? You know, it's interesting because
0: you do, you know, and I want to summarize it, but you talk a lot about eat, move and think. And and because I do, because sometimes it can get, we can get in the weeds, right? Like, and I, and I, it's what, one of the things I personally just love about you because you're not afraid to dive in. It's, I love, that's why I love the science and the research. Um, however, I take care of patients. I lay my hands on patients. I see patients. I want them to get well. And sometimes translating that. And one of the things that you have a gift in, I think, is making complicated uh, complicated, you know, topics, something that makes sense to people and digestible and and so, you know, the, you know, eat, move and think. Do you mind just unpacking that for for myself for our listeners and why you've co- you know that conclusion you've come to, why that's so important for us because that's more than just a catchphrase, that's more than just a bumper sticker or a cute thing to put on a website. Those are actually wild scientific, you know, backed statements that I think have so many implications that people almost wouldn't believe, right? You've talked about that. I remember you described one time the benefits of 30 minutes of, you know, walking or exercise, and, you, and then you described the whole thing, and then at the end of it you said if that was a pill, you know, be the greatest pill ever invented. You couldn't keep it on the shelves. Uh, but what I just described was, right, exercising 30 minutes or walking. Do you mind just kind of unpacking your, your premise, your, your life's work there a little bit?
2: Sure. So um, er- early on, um, I started to ask, I understood the value of the right question. So, the right question is the right questions in healthcare are why are people so sick? And then what is required to get them and keep them well? And so, the reason medicine fails so completely in terms of chronic illness, and the reason why we have, you know, Americans consume about 30 million pills an hour, why we've had more pills and more prescriptions every year for 75 years, and yet we've gotten sicker every year. The reason that whole system's failing is because they've answered the first question incorrectly. If you ask most people why they think people get sick with chronic illness, they'll say it's bad genes or an inability to regulate your own blood pressure or your own cholesterol levels or your own blood sugar levels or your own body weight or your own emotions. They actually think there's something wrong with the person. And so what they say is because something's inherently wrong or innately wrong or defective about the patient, then we don't try to address the cause and get people well. What we do is we try to treat the symptoms of the illness. And that's why they give drugs. They give drugs to override the, uh, the, 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 the self-regulatory mechanisms of the body because they assume the body's defective. Now, of course, they're completely and utterly wrong. And one of the things I found out very early on is that, that genes haven't changed in About 10,000 years. But certainly they haven't changed over the last hundred years. But chronic illness rates have risen exponentially over the last hundred years, over a time where there's been no gene change. So, how can we possibly blame genes, a variable which has no change over the last hundred years, for chronic illness, which has risen exponentially? How can we blame genes for a change in chronic illness? And further, a human all human beings have the same genes throughout their lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So how can people get sick and then well and then sick and then well <laughs> if it's caused by genes when they have the same genes when they're sick and when they're well?
0: Or just sick on the right side. <laughs> Not
1: the left yeah, side. Course. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And so 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 when you when you start to ask biological questions and again my father's a PhD biologist so when you when you start to think this way and you start to treat humans as what they are mammals and you realize that they have human mammals are governed by the same physiological laws as every other living organism mammals or not life has rules just like gravity has rules so you know gravity affects every living thing the same way and and so there are these natural laws like gravity but there are also physiological laws and so. The, the, the most basic physiological law and biological law is that genes get better with time through natural selection, not worse. So the idea that we're getting sicker with time because of genes is absurd. It's against oh. everything anybody gets taught in biology. But you, people have been so brainwashed by this allopathic mindset, which is to diagnose and treat illness. Uh, so that we 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 apply a different rule to humans than we do every other animal species. You've if, said before, any animals you, you, go ahead. Sir.
0: Well, no, I've heard you say before, and this one always stuck with me too. It was we are this, If we're just going to look at us as, as animals, not to have a debate, but I'm just saying, as as physiology of mammals here, there is no debate. We're animals. We're, we're the, animals. Yeah, we're the <laughs> sickest. <laughs> no we're the sickest species. Humans are the sickest species. That is crazy. Earth, by far. That's, that's, ins- that's like not yeah. even close. Yeah. So like there's that should, and I remember you saying one time, it might be one of your videos, you were talking about like, and I just, but I think this is like those moments, doc, where it just like triggers my brain. It stays with you forever. Like you'll, if you know, I think you're saying like your, your kids are eating soda pop and, and chips and the, and they say, don't feed that to the dog. You'll make the dog sick. That's for you.
2: Right? Well, that's a true story. There was a, there was a, there was a, 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 someone who um, a student, uh, like a, a chiropractor, who was taking my course, brought me an article. because I was talking about these very things, and he brought me an article from within Kentucky, and uh, the local the local um, um, animal protection came by and took the pets from the family because they were feeding the pets soda pop and chips. And they left the kids in the house. To eat the same thing. That was
0: ruled animal endangerment or whatever, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Just absolutely. And so this is the problem when we don't see ourselves. I mean, re- regardless of your faith or religion, <laughs> <Sure>. no one <laughs> argues that gravity doesn't apply to you because you're religious. <laughs> so if you're a Christian, you wouldn't, or a Muslim, or a or a sure. or a Buddhist, or what or whatever, right? Catholic, Protestant, I don't care. You're not going to jump off a building and say my faith is going to make me go up instead of down. Gravity doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm religious. And so nobody nobody would even consider that, right? But but yet people somehow think that therefore, but somehow the physiological laws don't apply to them because they have faith. And what I'm saying is that's absurd beyond belief. You are governed by the physiological laws, things that will make you overweight and and, you know, deconditioned and, unhappy and you know, low energy and bad sleep and low sex drive and whatever problem you want to relate to chronic illness. Those things are governed by this, these physiological laws that are no more breakable you can get around them. There's no chance to get around them anymore. Than you can get around gravity. So it's really important that, but people are not taught this properly. So they think that if they're sick, it's because of bad genes instead of bad choices. But it's bad choices. We can prove this irrefutably beyond any stretch of the imagination. And as I, as I always say, I mean, think of the animal species that have gotten sick or endangered or gone extinct. In the history of species on Earth, no, no living thing has ever become endangered or gone extinct because of bad genes. It's always because of the env- environmental change. It's only, usually now it's because humans destroy the right. environment. But you, you, it's always some kind of toxicity or deficiency in the environment every single time. And the only way we've ever saved a species is not with pills or drugs or surgery or chemotherapy. It's always been by preserving their environment so that they can interact with that environment in a way that allows them to extract the essential things they need from the environment and live in an environment which is not toxic to them. That's the only way we've ever saved an endangered species.
0: I know you've and simplified so, it before. You've said, or you didn't. You just mentioned it. Brought it back to my mind. For a listener, you're going, okay, man. I, I, I want to get this. I'm I'm coming along, and I know you'll keep unpacking this. But it really does come down to two basic things: a toxicity and a deficiency. Do you, right? I know you preach on this a lot. Talk about this a lot. Do you mind just t- touching on that one a little bit?
2: Sure. So as I as again, what I figured out early on was. I had to find out why humans were sick. If I wanted to prevent humans from getting sick or to get sick humans well and keep them well, I knew that all my work had to start with the first question, which was why are humans sick? Cause if you get that question wrong, like medicine has done, then you can't get the second question right. How do I get them well? Or or, or even you might not even believe you can get them well if you think they're defective. And if people think they're, they're defective themselves what a hopeless, tragic belief system. And they get, and then you know they, they have no hope. they actually don't believe they can change their lifestyle and get better. but every study that's ever been done shows that if you change people's lifestyle you can take an obese person and make them normal weight. You can take someone with high blood pressure and get them back to normal blood. Or you can take high cholesterol and get it back to normal. By the way, these people have the same genes, but when they change their lifestyle, they, they, they actually start to express, Healthy structure and function because it's our, inv- our interaction with our environment and our genes that determine whether we express healthy structure and function or sick st- uh, structure and function. So toxicity and deficiency, putting something toxic into your cells or your ecosystem or not putting enough of what you actually genetically require into your ecosystem and providing that to your cells, those are the root cause of all illness in all living things. And so once you understand that, as simple as it is, it's just irrefutably true, once you figure that out, then the idea is you have to figure out what things people are putting into their bodies that are toxic and get them to stop doing that. And you need to figure out what things they're not putting in, which they require, and you need to get them to start doing that. And lo and behold, this is where I came up with the whole trademark concept of eat well, move well, think well. Lo and behold, what you find out is, as you do the research, which I've done for 20 years and written books about it, as you know, is that people in the industrial world are really filling their backpacks of life and, you know, causing these illnesses. So I call it the the rocks in the backpack. They're the same rocks, right? Like if you look at nutrients, essential nutrient deficiencies, if you look at poor nutrition, and you realize just how poor nutrition is compared to what we genetically require and what, what our healthy ancestors ate compared to us, the ones who weren't obese, who didn't have heart disease, who didn't have cancer, who didn't have diabetes, who didn't have, you know, depression and anxiety, who, did, who didn't have, you know, troubles, like all these things that we suffer with. It's so blatantly obvious. If you look at the changes in nutrition, over the last hundred years, it tracks exactly what the increase of chronic illness. If you look at the, the changes in uh, physical fitness and physical activity over the last hundred years, it tracks exactly what the increases in chronic illness. Exactly, no change in genes, no change in the human ability to self-regulate, which by the way is determined by your genes. Those things are they're no problem. And then you look at actual lifestyle changes, emotional stress, how we eat and how we, and how we think, what you realize is it's simple as simple can be to explain why we're sick. And now, because he answered that correctly, it's simple as simple can be to figure out how to get people well and keep them well. And that's exactly as you know, if you're following what you've, you know, what's in my books or the lectures, you know, darn well, doc, that if you do this in practice and you teach people this and they follow these very, very simple things, right? Like the reason I created the, the innate choice essential nutrient system is because those are the nutrients we know people are missing for sure that they need. They're essential, meaning their body cannot produce healthy structure and function without sufficient amounts of them. And we know that living in industrial society is almost certainly making you deficient. This is this, this hidden hunger, this, uh, uh, this, uh, these hidden deficiencies of essential nutrients, which are so easy to fix. And when you get people to do that and get them going for a walk, even 30 minutes a day and get them to have some gratitude and self love and love and acceptance of others, their lives are transformed. I can tell you, I can take people and in 90 days I can get 90% of the people 90% better in 90 days. And you know that. And I know that you get their You get their joints moving, You refresh that neurology to the brain and back. You change not just the sensory motor cortex, but you change the other areas of the brain for autonomics. You start shifting them away from stress and sympathetic dominance toward the parasympathetics, the healing and repair, instead of the stress and breakdown. You get those nutrients into them, and you get them going for a walk and having some positive self-talk. And I'm telling you, it is transformative. As anybody who's ever tried it knows, and again, I'll just say, go to eat well, move well, think This stuff is all there for anybody or go to your, you know, go, you know, go see you, you know, for the people who are listening to you that have access to you. And I'm telling you, it's all there. It's like they, you know, this, I, I give the most basic information out. It's free. Yeah. Um, and, and this is not maybe the evidence for this is overwhelming. This is an evidence based approach to getting and keeping people well and preventing them from getting sick. It's the most evidence-based approach in the history of healthcare, but there's no prescriptions being yeah. written to make people money. So it is not advocated. As Dean Ornish said, who's a cardiologist who, who, who figured out that he could he was the only person right. in the history of the world to reverse atherosclerosis, but he didn't do it with a drug. He did it with change in diet and exercise. And basically because it wasn't a pill or a prescription, they wouldn't do it. He said if this was a pill, it would, be, it would be standard of care across the world in 10 minutes. He was so angry if you've ever heard him talk oh, or read his book. And they actually came out and said, we can't recommend exercise. It's, it, might be, it might be dangerous. As they're recommending these cholesterol and these blood pressure and blood sugar medications which are devastating people. The fourth leading cause of death in the United States is properly prescribed drugs and these are the main drugs prescribed. So, yes, it's... It can be simplified, but people have to first understand that the information they've been given for most of their lives has been untrue.
0: Doc, let me ask you this, and so because I know there's people that are listening, and and they are, you know, sometimes you just try to get in their heads because they think, you know some version of this. And you're so good at kind of helping people see it different perspective. Uh, two things. I remember that the, it refreshed my memory when you were talking about asking a person uh, to, to learn how to ask why three times. And I remember the way I heard the story, uh, I think from you is a guy went in, he, he had been diagnosed with diabetes and you said, well, go back and ask him why three times. So he goes to the doctor. He says, um, you have diabetes. And he says, why? And he says, because your blood sugar is high. And he says, um, why? This one only took two whys to get to, right? And he goes, well, why? And he goes, well, because you have diabetes. Right, and, and even when I tell that story, because I probably use that many times when I do a talk, even right away there's a pause. Like people still don't, they're still so brainwashed they don't even understand how ridiculous that is. As if there's some magical, you know, uh, thing in the air called diabetes that just manifests inside this body that causes them to be sick and not be able to control their blood sugars.
2: Yeah, like they can catch it. Oh, like <laughs> I caught diabetes, like or I, I caught. You know, yeah. I like caught high blood pressure. Well, or, you, you know, it's like, no, you don't catch it. You earn it.
0: Yeah, and when you catch it, it's uh, we call it mine, right? My diabetes, my uh, my heart disease. Yeah, my exactly. And,
2: and, then... and it's like, it's not random chance. If you understand how the body works, you can figure out exactly why. I can give anybody diabetes. Right. Anybody I want, you name, give me any. In fact, you could take two identical twins so they have the exact same genes. One you put on a health, one that follows, you know, the eat well, move well, think well protocol. And one that follows... Even the, even the, even the, the, you know, the, ADA's recommendations, the yeah. yeah, the ADA, the American diabetes or American Heart Association diet, or, or just regular, you know, industrial diet, whatever. I don't care. You can put them on anything. And I, I guarantee you, you know, imagine twins, one eats a healthy diet and exercises every day and has a good attitude. The one eats garbage food, um, is, is essential nutrient deficient and does not exercise. Right. Yep. And so you imagine the difference in those genetically identical twins in five years, but watch, so I can give watch. I can give anybody diabetes. I can make anybody obese, and I can give anybody heart disease. Anybody, I'll bat a thousand. I promise you. I challenge anybody.
0: But you say that because it's a law of nature. You're not just a—you know—you're not bravado. You're not egotistical. You're talking about no, science,
2: it, actually. You well, know. the reason I say it this way, Doc, is because no one usually denies that I could give somebody diabetes, yeah, or right. make them overweight, or make them unfit, or or make their heart give them heart disease. No one really. No one really says, oh, no, I, I don't know way you could do that. Because they know I could. But then I say, well, then I can take it away. Mm. I can I can take anybody who's overweight and make them normal weight. I can take anybody who's diabetic and make them not diabetic. I can, you know, we're talking type 2 diabetes. Yeah. I could take, although I've done a lot with type 1s too. Um, you, I could take any, anybody who has high blood pressure and get them to normal blood pressure. Why? Because I understand why they have high blood pressure, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's physiological law. Yeah. So if you, if you put, and by the way, what's really interesting about this is people know if their dog's overweight, it's not because the dog has bad genes. <laughs> they would go, we that dog needs to go for more walk. All right. We're so funny. You know?
0: Yeah,
2: wait, wait. exactly. So they don't see this as themselves because there's an entire industry called pharmaceuticals, right? And which runs medicine, basically medicine now is either you get a pill or you get surgery. What else is there? Think about it for a second. The entire thing, all the research, everything is run on this sort of idea, right? It's unfortunately been bought. Sadly, uh, that that I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting that a medical doctor is not intelligent, right. or I'm just telling you they have a certain viewpoint on the world and certain the, the, where the funding all comes from for the schools, for the journals. I mean, listen to me. Well, they get Nobody could deny that medicine is now. Me. Oh, right, but nobody can deny that medicine. Medicine consists of basically 90% prescriptions, 10% surgeries. Let's be honest. That's what it is, obviously. But, but listen to me. No drug can fix a problem caused by poor nutrition. No drug can fix a problem caused by lack of exercise. And no drug can fix a problem caused by no, no self-esteem or, or no confidence or, or, or friends or social connection in your life. Drugs cannot fix these things. But here's what's interesting. We know that it is poor nutrition that causes chronic illness. We know that it's lack of physical activity and poor physical fitness that causes chronic illness, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, obesity, diabetes, all of these things, all indigestion, ulcerative colitis, all of these things, right? We know that. So why are we taking pills that could never solve a problem from poor nutrition or lack of exercise or lack of self-love or, or, or social connection? Why are we taking pills to solve problems that are caused by lifestyle, see this is this is when the when when this penny drops for people, when they realize why they're sick, they self evidently understand right. It becomes self evident that well why am I taking a pill to solve a problem caused by not enough exercise? And just think about that for a second. How do you get around that? How do you get around that? If you, are you going to deny that people aren't overweight because of how they eat and think and move? Are you going to deny that people aren't sick and get heart disease and diabetes and obesity and you know, all the other chronic illnesses who could deny, and by the way, no one does who could deny that it's not lifestyle that got them there. The problem is then why would you take a pill to fix a lifestyle caused problem? It makes no sense. Doc, I, I, I gotta,
1: if I could, I just I, I got to comment in here because um, you know one of the things that Ben has always taught me about uh, chiropractic is he's just referred to it as being a doctor of cause, and that always made sense to me right from you know from day one. And so as I hear you talk, I, I, I you know I, I I guess I'm in the um, the crowd now that has uh, bought all of this hook, line, and sinker, of course in a good way. You know, like I, I definitely subscribe to to where you guys are. But I think there's a lot of people. You buy
2: it, you understand. Well, I
1: understood it, right? Exactly. Not for
2: sale. uh, It's just information that's valid and true that you've decided to accept as valid and true. Well, it
1: makes sense for common sense. That's what it comes down to for me. And I I, I guess where I struggle is, I go, man, you would like to think, and I think this is maybe where even people get vulnerable with their own doctors vulnerable in the sense that they they fall prey to that method of of care that you know that mainstream method of care because we would think that somebody would become a doctor like it seems to me the old school doctor the quintessential old school doctor was the person that understood things about the body and understood the cause of those just like you guys are talking about right now and you're exactly right today it's not you know, the case at all. And so I look at that and I go, why would somebody become, I mean, I would think that the personality would become a doctor, would be the person that is fascinated by the body, biology, et cetera, et cetera, and also has an incredibly intelligent problem solving mind. And it just seems like they've just abdicated that in so many
2: different ways. And so,
1: I mean, help me understand that.
2: Well, because they see the problem as the high blood pressure and the pill will lower the blood pressure. Yeah. Right? Now, unfortunately, they, they don't get taught about the... And then when they have other side effects of that, they have another pill to address the side effects. So if you think the problem is high blood pressure and you can, and you can give somebody a pill that lowers the blood pressure, if you think the problem is high cholesterol... Right, if you're taught to believe that the reason they have high cholesterol is bad genes or an inability to regulate cholesterol, and therefore you think there's no way that this lifestyle causing it, and therefore you think, well, the problem is high cholesterol. How do I get cholesterol down? And you give them the pill, and the cholesterol goes down. You think you've solved the problem. It's not intelligence that's mm-hmm. the issue; it's paradigm. Doc, right?
0: I, it's, you, I remember you, and I feel like this is in one of your first books, and and, and remember and, and polish me up. But I also want to, as we kind of work our way to, to down here. Um, Two things that I want to ask you. One is, and I think a great example to Jeff's question is you take somebody, myself, any of us, you know, run up a flight of stairs, climb a mountain, whatever, right? You're going to have, we're going to have physiological changes that if you didn't know that, you would, a person might call those disease, right? They're going to diagnose me with Mm. low oxygen. They're going to diagnose me with high blood pressure because I just got done running a flight of stairs. What actually is happening is a normal response to a, my body is adapting, attempting to adapt or not adapting to the environment that it's being put in. Now that's uh, not fancy talk, but that's just, you know, but we, when you call that, disease and then but so nobody would mistake it if I'm running up the stairs my blood pressure is going up and so we gave me a drug to stop that we didn't make that person healthier any more than if I have a rock in my shoe and I take a pill so I don't feel that rock anymore because we thought the rock was the problem itself the pain of the rock rather and so we're just we've just masking symptoms. but if you would a concept that changed my life and I think it answers some of the more complicated questions doc which is the rocks in the backpack if you don't mind kind of flushing through that more because I think everybody understands that but do you answer we first I know two questions sorry to put you on the spot, there. But the first one, just helping a person understand your body adapting or not adapting to its environment. And then, if you'll just maybe at the same time walk through the rocks in the backpack for us.
2: Sure. So again, remember, there's these physiological laws that exist, right? So if you eat double the amount of calories that you expend every day, what will happen? You you will gain adipose tissue. You will gain fat. Correct. Yeah. I mean, because that's just law. I mean, there's a reason for it. But 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 as you gain that weight and as you don't exercise, what what will happen to the to the fitness of your heart muscle, well, what will happen to the, to, to, to your arteries as you're, as you're, you know, constantly having a pro inflammatory high sugar diet. Like if people just understood a little bit about their bodies, which they don't get taught, they don't get taught in elementary school. They don't really get taught in high school. It's a shame. Um, so people don't really understand how their bodies work. And what they've done is they they they've abdicated that to somebody else. Don't you're in charge. You, you, you're the oh, you're your best chance, everybody. Listen to me. You are your best chance to take care of yourself. The choices you make will always be the single greatest determine, determining factor in, in your health, your quality of life, and your longevity. Your choices are more than any treatment you will ever get. It will always be your choices that determine your quality and quantity of life more than anything else. There's just no question about it. And so I think one of the things that the, that the backpack analogy helps with. And by the way, to answer your adaptation question, like obviously if, if you, if you, if you adapt, the way your body works is that it, it, it's, it's constantly monitoring the internal environment. Your subconscious brain always knows what your blood pressure is, always know, knows what your blood sugar is, always knows what your pH level is, always knows how much, how many digestive enzymes you're releasing, always knows, you know, everything, right? That's the amazing part of life. It's just how much information like it's, it's three trillion bits of information go to your subconscious brain every second trillion. Uh, you know, 50 of those, not 50%, 50 of those bits go to your conscious mind. So your, your organ of self-regulation, your subconscious mind is constantly evaluating your internal environment and constantly evaluating your external environment so that it can adapt to make sure that you survive. So, the example you give, if you, as I often use, probably remember from a lecture, is that if you go, if you go and live at altitude. It- Say fifteen thousand feet for a couple months. Your body's going to your 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 subconscious brain is going to detect less oxygen in your blood because there's less less oxygen in your environment. So what your body does is says, wait a minute, that's below where I need it. I'm going to make an adaptation. I'm going to produce more erythropoietin. That erythropoietin is going to cause me to make more red blood cells. When I have more red blood cells, I'll have more hemoglobin. That means I can attach more oxygen, and I will be able to live and adapt to living at altitude by producing more red blood cells and more hemoglobin so that I can suck more oxygen out of an oxygen-poor environment. But if you take that person and then they go down to altitude and get a test, and they go to a a doctor and they get a red blood cell count, they could say, "Your your red blood cell count is high, you're sick. If they don't find out what environment the person was in, they could really misdiagnose it. Right. So the whole idea is we have to, in biology, the first thing you learn is that you never look at the physiology or the health of an organism or a species without looking at the environment they're living in because they are in constant interaction. It's the environment that determines what state of physiology the organism has to move into or out of in order to best survive in that environment. We have very different states of physiology based on different environments. If a tiger is chasing us, our physiology is very different than when we're sleeping.
0: Will you sit on that for a second? Because one of the things that changed my my perspective, too, was you talked about the stress response and the implications of the stress response, because everybody has heard the tiger chasing me, but will you just... If you got, got at the time, Doc, just real quickly explain to people the, you know, just the common physiological changes of a stress response, because that's basically the diseases that everybody thinks they've, they have or don't have, right? Do you want to walk through that real quick?
2: Sure. I think the most important thing I can help people do is to try to distinguish—this get, gets there's so much misinformation yeah. um, about this—but is to distinguish between the stress response, which is physiology, and the fight-or-flight response, which is behavior.
0: Okay,
2: So a lot of people think that the fight or flight response is physiology. It's not. The physiological response to a tiger chasing you is one for acute survival that's only supposed to last a very short time, right? So those things that you do, you are willing to break your body down and, and, and use and divert all of your energies towards surviving that tiger attack because if you don't survive that tiger attack there's no point right there's no long-term consequences if you don't if you get eaten by a tiger <laughs> it's short term right so what your body does is it changes your immune system because you don't really need any an immune system if you're being eaten by a tiger you only need an immune system after you've been bitten by a tiger and you're trying to recover you know, so everything that all of the hormones that are released during stress, right? And and remember, genetically, we're adapted to only be, you know, get chased by a tiger for a short-term stress. We're not meant to be living in chronically stressful, toxic, deficient, polluted, loud, noisy, light pollution, noise pollution, you know, environments. That's not normal. If we take any mammal out of the forest, even our closest relatives, the bonobo, our chimps and we take them and put them in an environment that we live in, they get sick right away. If we take any animal and put it in a zoo, which is where we live, we live in the human zoo, not the concrete jungle. It's the human zoo. We've domesticated ourselves. We don't move. Probably we take any animal out of the wild environment and we are humans lived in a wild environment for all of the time we've been on earth as humans. Most of it was in a wild environment. We've now taken us and put us into the zoo. So everything changes about our physiology because we're now in an environment which is not suited to us. Physiologically, we're not suited to sit down all day at a computer screen with artificial light and no sunlight and bad food all the time, eating garbage food and not exercising. And, you know, so so what happens is our body goes into a stress response, but that stress response is supposed to be short-lived But it's constant and chronic. So things that could save our life in the short term, which are very intelligent if we're being chased from a tiger, are eventually going to kill us. But it's not our bodies that are killing us. It's not the stress response that's at fault. It's not like our body's doing something wrong by staying in the stress response. We're so silly. We're so suicidal in our lifestyle choices and the environments we created for ourselves that we hang out with the tiger all the time. But that tiger now isn't a tiger, it's Big Macs, it's garbage food, it's junk food, it's sugar, high carbohydrate, high sugar diets, it's lack of exercise, it's light pollution, noise pollution, air pollution. These are the things that we've created for ourselves. So we've created these artificial tigers that are putting our bodies under stress all the time. Now, the problem that we have is in the fight or flight response, the reason our bodies change our physiology and and move everything from repair Right, and healing to all survival. Right, the reason our bodies do that is for f- so that our bodies are prepared for the behavior choice of fight or flight. Fight or flight is a behavior choice to get us away from the tiger. We either kill the tiger, fight, or we climb a tree, flight. But it's those behaviors that save us from the tiger, not the stress response. You can have the greatest stress response you want in your oh. body, but if a tiger's oh. eating you, you're not going to make it. The only thing that saves us is is to get away from the toxic tiger or, the, or, or, the, or you know, the toxic or deficient environment. That's what allows us to survive is our behaviors, our choices. It's the fight or flight, re, re, the, the, pardon me, the physiological stress response is, is preparing us for the best chance to have a successful behavior change because it's always behavior change moving away from the stressful environment, towards a homeostatic environment, which allows us to express homeostatic physiology. But right now, our behaviors are ridiculous. We go into the stress response, and instead of using that stress response to exercise more, to eat better food, to get away from that tiger, Mm. we just have that stress response going over and over and over again, and eventually it produces high blood pressure, and high cholesterol, and heart disease, and diabetes, and obesity, all of these physiological changes are not mistakes from the body. The body's doing what it's designed to do. The mistake is that we're not changing our environment. We're staying on the couch, eating the Big Mac. And then we blame our bodies as if somehow our body created high blood pressure or high cholesterol. Our bodies didn't create high blood pressure, or high cholesterol, our behaviors Mm. created high blood pressure or high cholesterol. So if you want to change and get away from the stressful reaction of your body, You have to change environments. You have to start making non-stressful behavior choices and move into non-stressful environments. And of course, that's eat well, move well, think well. And you know one of the oh, principles is creating a homeostatic environment for the human species. And one of the principles
0: of chiropractic, one of the reasons I love chiropractic, right, is this idea of of time. One of the principles of chiropractic, which is as you make those lifestyle changes. If you're listening to this, and sometimes you might be listening to this, and I want to encourage you because you might say, "Hey, I've tried that." And I'm oh, gosh, doc, if we had a nickel for every time we heard that, right? You know, I've done that, I've tried that, and I just want to say, like, and I'm like you, I just I know that it's a, a biological law, so I I know that that's just not true because if you would have, you'd be well. And so I can constantly. Well,
2: they might have tried it, but yeah, they yeah. they just weren't able to sustain it.
0: Yes, maybe better way of saying it. So you didn't do it long enough. So you just you you gave up too soon. You you just gave in. And listen, uh, Doc and myself, neither one of us would sit here and tell you that it's easy right? Nobody would say that this is just, you know, because now that you know this, it's just, oh, now everything changes. But now you no longer complete ignorance. No longer do you have an excuse. No longer can you just say, hey, I didn't know any better, right? And as you said, I think earlier, you said you come into this new understanding, this awareness, and it becomes almost self-evident. You start to realize, hey, I'm walking around with a, you know, the reason my back hurts metaphorically is because I've got 200-pound backpack on, and it's heavy. I've been recently doing some some rucking, right, Doc, where you carry the weights around, you know, and uh, just Mm -hmm. around my neighborhood. And it's really, literally like, I can't believe how heavy 30 pounds feels, right? And um, how quickly, right? You can, your hip starts to hurt, your back or your shoulder. And the metaphor, so if you're listening to this, what I would desire for you, and, and with Doc, and I want him to, as he winds down, he'll tell you how to get some of his resources and his website. I know he mentioned it, but I want, he sells, he has supplements available, he has resources available. But if you're listening to this, take inventory of your backpack, unzip it, look in there. Do I have a bunch of rocks of junk food? Do I have a bunch of rocks of emotional stress? Do I have a bunch of rocks of, of um, you know, not movement? All these things are some toxicity issues. Where can I start, you know, get get yourself, you know, informed, get yourself educated, find a doctor. A chiropractors tend to be great at this because we more, this is kind of the foundation of our education in some sense, so we just get this little, the paradigm is easier for us than it is for the traditional allopathic model. Uh, so it's a great start. But doc, just as we, as we land this plane, as we kind of end the show last thoughts for our listeners thank you so much for being on the show again today how do they follow you how do they you know i know you just redid your website which is awesome um, how can they learn more and read because you've got great stuff about vitamin d and omega-3s and the stuff that people hear about and especially that they woke up through covid and said i have to take my health seriously what can i do any uh, final thoughts
2: well, again, the website is eatwellmovewellthinkwell.com, and and I think one of the things I've become very good at is identifying what the main rocks are, and so and finding ways to help people do things that they find easy because you don't have to do it all at once. That's really important. And also, when people are are sick, when people are overweight, or when they're, you know, when they haven't been healthy for a decade or more, you know, often many decades, um, it's unrealistic to expect them to have the willpower or the energy, um, or even the motivation, um, to, you know, just all of a sudden change their lifestyle and change their life completely. I think we have to have realistic expectations of people and and realize that it's not an emergency in most cases that you have time to change your lifestyle over the next year. You know what I mean? Like it's okay. There's no rush. You'll also find that people gain momentum and as they do a few good things that they find easy, um then the next things become easy as well. So they just keep building their skill set in terms of self control, their their health improves and their physiology improves and then lo and behold the things that were really hard two months ago are now all of a sudden the easy things. And then you get better after those two months and then the things the next the next level becomes easier. So it's it's and it's very hard to be sick and, and people will realize that but I think the first thing they have to understand is, wait a minute, um you know, changing my lifestyle is for sure scientific and for sure, and if I sustain it, it for sure will work. They just have to have that belief first and then I think they have to have some good advice on how to, on how to get there. And so that's what I do on, on my public website now. I, I never had a pep public website before, but I, what I realized is I couldn't get to enough chiropractors and get them to do this stuff. So, um, so now I can just deal directly with, if they don't have a chiropractor who, who teaches this stuff, they can just go to eatwellmovealthinkwell.com and, you know, the, the, they can do an online lifestyle plan. They can definitely start with the essential nutrients, and I always recommend that because when you when you solve that essential nutrient, that hidden hunger of essential nutrient deficiency first, um, you know, it makes a huge difference in your ability to, you know, to go for a walk, all of the, all of those things. So, um, th- I think that's the best re- resource I give. it. I mean, you know, as you know by, you know, anychoice.com or thewellnesspracticed.com is for the for the for the practitioners. Um, but uh, I now have an ability to help the, the public directly if they don't have access to a chiropractor who does what you do you know so and and by the way most don't sadly (laughs) well Um, yeah yeah
0: no i'm i'm with you um you know doc we we know you're up in the great north where we hope your we hope your country uh fights the good fight and uh we we, i know you guys got a lot going on up there and uh hopefully someday you'll be able to uh, cross the border again and uh, come visit us and i hope your family is doing well as well and just thank you for all you've done for our profession for people in general Just for the integrity of healthcare and and helping us ask good questions, the right questions, uh, it doesn't have to be as complicated as it maybe has felt or seemed like. And I hope you've heard this today and heard from Dr. Chestnut, and I hope hope that you have great hope. I hope that he's inspired you and encouraged you to know what... Maybe it doesn't have to be like this. There's choices I can make. I have some control and power. Matter of fact, a lot more than I probably thought. I don't have to hand my health over to, to some doctor or some pill or some surgery. And uh, and that everything that we discussed today, um, even though sometimes it's just you know good good questions that we ask, but it's all backed by just not even science, although I'm fine with that, but just bi- biological laws. That when you when you when you operate within those, your body has no choice but to get better. And so just thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your time. Take care, Doc. God bless.
2: Thank you.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.Clinic.